Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another episode of the Share Life Podcast. I'm here with Nancy Clapel. Nancy, say hello. Hi, everyone. It's great to be back. Um, we originally connected through the Freelancers Union last year, and shortly after that connection, um, in April 2020, um, she joined me for an episode of the podcast, um, an inspirational people interview that I did with her. She shared about generosity and priorities during the coronavirus crisis, which was both new to us. Now, over a year later, today we'll reconnect to share what we've learned in the meantime. Uh, Nancy is an architect by training with 30 plus years collectively in the industry with various incarnations incarnations. Uh, she's now a consultant to creative entrepreneurs and professionals who work in some capacity what's what's called the built environment, which includes architects, engineers, and a diverse group of design and construction professionals. Nancy is also a co-founder, leader, and collaborator of 100 plus member relational oriented community, Brick and Wonder. They're fostering best in class collaborations and helping individuals and organizations who help and participate in projects that address the built environment better positioned to be prepared for the unexpected, something we'll discuss today. She is also co-founder of an ongoing mentoring seminar series for women entering the profession of architecture, where she is supporting young professions, professionals by connecting them to accomplished women architects, providing mentoring, and creating the old girls network to carry them forward into long productive careers. So in this discussion, you and I will discuss the lessons we learned in 2020 and the first half of 2021 as this crisis is really a series of crises that have unfolded health, uh, um, societal, political, <laughs> economic. Sure. So how have we changed since we last spoke? What have we learned about ourselves? So I think to get us started, why don't we talk about this idea of the unexpected? You know, life throws things at us that we wouldn't have expected, or life turns out different than we expected. Um, it's it's a hard thing to to get our mind around and to adapt. So, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, you know, these are the kind of questions they're they're hard to answer succinctly because there's so much you could say and lots of different directions you could off in. Um, I think that you know when I think about my my nieces and nephews, I don't have any kids of my own. I think yeah. about how if they were to be asking me about how to approach going to college or making choices or what to be prepared for. And I've thought about this frequently. It's like, you know, I think about how you have to be prepared to pivot and change when an unexpected outcome forestalls your intended direction or yeah. makes it, you know, less likely or puts obstacles in your way or in best case scenario, creates an opportunity. Yeah. And I think that developing that kind of personal resilience mm -hmm. to always in a clear-eyed way look at what's in front of you and act based on that rather than based on some prior expectation or some disappointed, you know, view that it didn't quite come out the way you thought it would be. Yeah. Um, because first of all, it's the most positive way to go forward. And yeah. second of all, it's the one that is most likely to yield a successful outcome. Yeah. And, you know, third of all, you'll very quickly minimize the time you waste fretting about how mm. it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And, you know, certainly there's plenty of things in life that don't turn out the way we want them to. There are lots of disappointments, big and small. And certainly with the pandemic, 
there are so many things that were not as we had hoped they might be. They happened later. They didn't happen at all. They happened smaller. Mm -hmm. They went away entirely. So, you know, developing some personal resilience yeah. has been really important. And, and what, how so, would you, I guess, before you continue, how would you define resilience? Like, what does that mean to you? Well, in, in what I was just describing, I mean, pandemic or no pandemic, I think that having a realistic attitude towards, you know, what you do when things don't go exactly as planned yeah. is so important because things don't go exactly as planned ever. You know, yeah. I, I was just at a wedding this weekend. My goddaughter got married on Saturday night and it was a big, happy wedding delayed exactly by a year. And it was a really happy occasion, which is not <laughs> to say that it wasn't going to be happy a year ago, yeah. but you know, the sort of opportunity to truly appreciate what we couldn't mm. do for a year amplified this incredibly joyful celebration yeah. that, you know, it was just wonderful. It's just, just wonderful. So I don't know, my, I started answering these questions and I wander off in a direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what's started, interesting but, is this yeah. idea that there's reality as it is, and there's reality as we perceive it and expect it. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is it's, it's better to align with reality as it is, even if it means we have to let go of some of those perceptions. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, yeah. And, you know, when it comes right down to it in the simplest, most objective terms, we live in the present and the future. And we can only look forward because we can't do anything about what's already passed. Mm -hmm. We can only address it in the present and in the future. And so, you know, yeah, you have to look forward and, and act accordingly. Yeah. So I guess, what is that, when you think about just this last year, um, you know, what, what is it that, what expectations perhaps were reinforced ones that maybe you, you had a good handle on and what were some that, okay, maybe, I, maybe I was misconstruing reality. I, I had expectations of how things were, how people are, um, how the industry works. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, you've, you've been in the architectural industry, you've been freelance, a freelancer, you've, you've operated in seasons of of challenge and crisis. So what was different about this one? Or was so, it? You know, a lot of things were not so different. And I think that given the really durable recession in 2008, yeah. um, I think I personally was a little bit more prepared. And I mean, psychically, yeah. uh, because there's certain things you can't make happen when there's a slowdown in the business climate. And I'll give you a very specific example. I had a significant downturn in my business um, last year, but also the year before. And the year before it was because my father passed away and I just was not prepared to engage at the level I needed to, to be bringing in new clients and starting new assignments. And yeah. I had finally kind of bit the bullet um, in December of 2019 and said, okay, January 1st, I am back in the seat. I am going full force because I've got to get started. And I had worked really hard and I had developed a number of new relationships, all of which were set to get started yeah. and almost all of which evaporated into nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 
similar to the recession, like I would sit there and say to myself, what can I do? What else can I do that I'm not already doing that's going to make this different? And I think this time around, I was prepared to say, well, there isn't anything I can do that's going to make this different. I can continue to do what I'm doing and I can continue to pursue the things I would otherwise pursue and encourage my clients and encourage new relationships for all the reasons I think that it is valuable for my target clients to start work now. But at the end of the day, people are going to make their decisions based on the contours of their own life. And some of them are not going to be able to move forward. And in reality, that's what happened. And what was different this time was that I didn't get so upset about it Mm. because it was, uh, you know, the learning experience of the prior few years, I knew that it wasn't going to help anyway. And it was just going to amplify the, the anxiety. (laughs) In those prior years where you faced those challenges, it sounds like that's where you learned that lesson. Was it, was it a lesson of doing it the, that the way you described you, you've changed and, and then you realize, okay, this isn't actually helping it. It's just making it worse. Or wh- how, how did you actually make that change in yourself? Sure. So I think that, you know, in architecture, recessions are very memorable because when they're bad recessions, so many people lose their jobs And everyone, you know, is affected very directly. And so we just, we have these very vivid um, experiences in business downturns, this one as well. And I wouldn't say the way I was out there looking to drum up business changed. That Mm kind of held steady. But the amount to which I would allow myself to get upset is Mm -hmm. what has changed. Because, you know, there were a couple of different things going on, um, some good, some bad there was the recognition that there were just a lot of things we could not do anything about. It was too dangerous to be out there, you know, doing the things you might do to try and drum up business. And there was nobody out there anyway. Yeah. It it has to be a dual uh, cooperation. (laughs) Yeah. And then there was a a need to kind of figure out how to operate in a completely Mm. virtual business environment. Yeah. And we figured it out to some extent, you know, with our mentoring seminar, it had been a hundred percent in person. And then it went to 100% virtual. Mm. And as of our last session, we went to a hybrid slum, few people in person, most everyone virtual kind of structure. And we've recognized some real opportunities that didn't exist in the 100% in person. So, you know, some of it is a a learning curve in how do you operate. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that was most impactful is a shifting of expectations and In addition, I think what was really specific to the pandemic has been that there are so many things one could get upset about and one could really generate a lot of stress and anxiety over. And I I realized pretty quickly, and I'm so grateful that I was able to do this, that I was only going to get upset about things that were really worth getting upset Mm. about. Because, you know, otherwise you'd just be miserable all the time and you'd just be like, feeling the wash of adrenaline and cortisol in your bloodstream, you know, making you stressed and recognizing what was going on around me and how little influence I had to change most of it Mm -hmm. allowed me to say, okay, I'm not going to get upset about these things. Yeah. So I guess there's a couple facets of that. One of them is you, you let go what you couldn't control and you, you took it opportunity to, to do what you could. Right. 
I remember uh, meeting a, a gentleman who ended up writing a book about these five Mexican fishermen that were stranded at sea for nine months. And my, the first question I had from him is why did three survive and two died? Mm-hmm. And he said, the two that died, they waited for rescue. They just sat in the boat. They said, you know, someone's going to find us. Someone's going to find us. And they didn't do anything. The other three, they couldn't do a lot, but they could do something. They could jump in the water. They could catch fish. They could read. They had a, they actually happened to have a Bible. Um, they could um, help each other, talk to each other. There were things they could do and not all of them were pleasant, um, but they could do something. Sure. So it sounds like, you know, you, you did what you could. But what about like, what was different about you that compelled you to do that versus just being paralyzed, being the one that says, you know, someone, someone will come around and help me. Someone will rescue me. Um, and just, just essentially giving up, you know, what, what would you say compelled you to at least do something, even though you were letting go of the emotions of it? Well, there are a couple of things that are very clear to me were very impactful. So first and foremost, I was entering a new relationship in the spring of 2020. And while most people were seeing everything disappearing around them, I was falling in love. And Mm -hmm. I had this incredibly precious, uh, unbelievable, unique experience of having (laughs) a year to spend with this person. Yeah. Completely in isolation. And, you know, we saw no other people. We went back and forth to each other's (laughs) homes and we didn't go anywhere. And, you know, when in life do you ever have that opportunity? And if it didn't work out, it would be a very different story, but it did work out. So it was a very precious year Mm. in that way. And I will tell you so much of my ability to just hang in and not get discouraged was wound up in that because I had this incredible good fortune to spend a year with someone that I love. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other things that were important were from the very beginning, it was important to me that nothing happened to my mother, who Mm. is... I, I shudder to say elderly because she certainly doesn't have the demeanor of someone who's elderly, <laughs> but she's 85 years old. And, yeah. um, you know, I just was very focused that at this moment when elderly people were so vulnerable that mm-hmm. nothing should happen to my mother Yeah, and nothing did happen. So, yeah. you know, I'm really grateful. And none of my friends got very sick. Very few got sick at all. Yeah. Um, And we were all extremely, extremely fortunate. You know, certainly there were setbacks and certainly there were losses and certainly there were plans that didn't get to happen or financial situations that were adversely impacted. But almost across the board, I was very, very fortunate in my life that everyone I know, myself included, despite the minor setbacks, were whole, were whole, Mm -hmm. were healthy. And, you know, we, we didn't lose many people. We lost one person in my family, someone very elderly. And I lost one friend, also someone pretty elderly. Um, but, you know, most people managed to get through it mm. relatively unscathed. And when you're so bombarded on a daily basis with the really terrifying reality of so many people who didn't, it's mm-hmm. hard not to be grateful. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's contrast can be helpful for us to appreciate what we do have when we have it. Um, so, you know, talk, going back to the, the, um, you know, this idea of pivoting and, and, and ha- not just respond, not just reacting to the unexpected, but proactively choosing 
hey, you know what? I'm not, I'm actually going to lean into this opportunity and, and to do something good. What what did that look like for you? How and, sure. and what grew out of that? Well, so very early on, I made a decision that I was going to continue to be as active in my professional world in spite of the fact that most of the things I was going to be doing were not going to have any money attached to them. Mm. And alongside that, I minimized my expenses as thoroughly as possible. I sublet my apartment and got out of New York City and shed like 50 to 60% of my monthly expenses. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, showed up for people who needed to be showed up for and initiated new relationships and did not put the pressure of a transaction Mm. on any of those relationships until it was time that a transaction was possible. And it enabled some really great new client relationships to grow and some really great new personal relationships to grow. And, you know, despite the fact that I wasn't really earning much money, I was starting the day at 7.30 or 8.30 every day. And I was talking to people as if I would in other more typical circumstances and things kept going. They were just disassociated from, you know, well, where's the profit motive here? And that stuff does work itself out. It's starting to work itself out, certainly going into the fall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking before we got started officially about the renovations in your own house and yeah. um, <laughs> to all sorts of things all around us, but the yeah. construction market and the design market are on fire. And if they're mm-hmm. not already entirely on fire, they soon <laughs> will be. Yeah. I was looking this morning at an ad for uh, job listings for architects okay. all over the country. And I, you know, it's, it's super, super active. There's mm. so much work right now, uh, more than people can actually execute. Yeah, And it's kind of resorting itself so that yeah. people have opportunities to take new jobs. Firms have opportunities to start mm. new projects. So what would you say yeah. to someone that, that could take advantage of those opportunities, but they, wanna, they want an opportunity like it used to be, and, and maybe that type is gone, but there are new ones that are different. What would you say to that? Right. Well, I would say, you know, look for how you can pitch your skills to a purpose that is possible. You know, Mm -hmm. if you formerly did commercial office interior work, what does that design skill Mm. support? How does it translate? Yeah. How does it translate? Because there's certain work that there's a lot of right now, and there's other work that there's very little of. And if you, if you can't refashion your skill set applied to different needs, um, you're kind of stuck because there are lots of times and lots of reasons that needs change. And, you know, not only do you have to be able to make that shift, but you also have to be savvy to recognize it so that you get there early enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because one of the things for me learning, you know, just, or one of the reflections I've had with this crisis as it's unfolded, um, I think there there is like a desire to to help people in whatever respective area they are, but there is also a reality of the way in which we entered the crisis is the way in which we respond to it. And what I mean by that is you can't train and equip yourself after it's already begun, right? It, you go into it the way you go into it, and obviously we, because it's been so long, we can we can change and adapt. But but there is something to um, to that to that expectation, to the anticipation um, that that crisis can come and it will come. 
And are we, are we living, are we working, are we operating in a way that allows us to not just survive during those times, but actually thrive to go to take advantage of the opportunities. And I think about, right, well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll give you an example. Um, we were just finishing our five session mentoring seminar series first year mm. uh, in March of 2020. And I was the final speaker alongside Claire Weiss, who's a pretty well-known architect in New York. And I was so looking forward to it. And yeah. we were not gonna be meeting in person. So we shifted and that was our first virtual session. And in so doing, we had three times the attendance than we, mm. we would have been able to accommodate. And the session was fine. Um, then we set, set about planning the second season. Yeah. And there was an architect I thought would be a great speaker for the kickoff event in September. And she is an incredibly well-known architect, yeah. well in her 70s, who was the first woman president of the New York chapter of the AIA and just fantastic. But I didn't know her. And, you know, we were all kind of on this equal footing of looking at screens wherever we happen to be sitting. And so I just reached out to her. And yeah. within... 10 minutes of reaching out to her, she said, absolutely, I'd love to do this. And the point is that, um, you know, the, the moment allowed for a sort of bold outreach and to give mm. yourself the permission to do something that seemed a little more bold than it otherwise, yeah. you know, you might have felt entitled to do. And it was like, okay, just do it. You know, you have to reach out yeah. to them, just do it. They're, they're sitting in front of a screen too. Yeah. And it's possible that someone wasn't going to respond, which would have been fine because you'd be no worse off or yeah. it's possible that they I were going to respond. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Cause I, I can relate to that in terms of just different things I've done and, or have done and connected with people. Um, I, I've reached out to an author recently, um, just throwing out, hey, you want to be on the podcast because I read your books and I loved them. And he said, yes. So that's going to be sometime later this year. And so, um, yeah, it is it is kind of a, I don't know, like a blank slate. Everyone's sort of starting at the same starting line. And so you might as well go for it. I can, I can, I can see in myself that I did what you're describing. Yeah. Well, and yeah. you just for a moment, you recognize like everyone's common humanity and you put aside the, the hierarchy and all the sort of mm. artifice that separates us I'll, I, like what comes to mind for me right now is how when vaccinations were really getting going up here yeah uh, i live very close to tanglewood are you familiar okay. with I'm tanglewood? Not familiar. no so tanglewood is a music um a music venue in the berkshires in lennox massachusetts okay and it's a place where they have just unbelievable concerts like classical, they have some popular music, but mostly it's classical music and they have outdoor and indoor and beautiful theaters and a performance shed, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the artists who often performs at Tanglewood is the cellist, Yo-Yo Ma. And I saw something in the news around here, local news, that Yo-Yo Ma, when he went to get his first vaccination, he went to some like gymnasium space in Lenox, Massachusetts, because he was living up there in the Berkshires, mm. which is a very kind of country bucolic area, like small towns, cute little New England towns. Yeah. And of course, you had to wait for 15 minutes after your shot before they'd let you go home. Mm. So he brought his cello and he played the cello in yeah. that space for anyone who happened to be there. And, That's you know, cool. people pay hundreds of dollars for a ticket <laughs> to go yeah. play the cello. Like, and yeah. there he was in this gymnasium playing the Just cello. doing it, yeah. 
Yeah, because it was like he recognized the common humanity of everybody just being there to get vaccinated and how he was stuck there for a while. And why not, you know, put that out there for everybody while they're waiting? Yeah, that's that's interesting, because I I think it it could go a variety of different ways in terms of the humanity, but also just recognizing like the hierarchy part that you mentioned, like a lot of the people that that are leaders or in charge they don't necessarily know more than anyone else, right? We're all learning at the same time. We're all trying to figure things out. And, and this is one of those types of situations where that becomes more clear than ever. Um, and, and so that dynamic is, is uh, I think it's, depending on where you fall, it can be destabilizing. Why, oh my goodness, they don't know what they're doing, but, but it can also be um, an opportunity for, I think, a vacuum to, the vacuum of leadership to, to pull in people to become stronger and better leaders and, and to fill that void that I think I, that I've seen and felt throughout the last year. Well, and, and even short of becoming a better leader, just becoming a better participant. Yeah. Because, you know, leadership is fantastic and becoming better leaders is a great thing to aspire to. Not everybody is going to want to do that. Not everybody's going to be able to do that, but everybody can become a better participant. Yeah, I like that. By whatever it is that they're doing. You know, yeah. people who don't quite feel up to being a leader can just be a better follower, up, a, be a participant. A participant. Not even a follower, just a participant. You know, just yeah. show up and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you think about this past year, you know, there's the pivoting, but there's also the slowing down side of things. Mm-hmm. What do you think, you know, when you think about rest and, and slowing down and, um, and perhaps in a way this pandemic has been a giant speed bump for America, who's, who's very, uh, who is on fast forward most of, most of the time. Um, what do you think about the idea of slowing down? So I think, again, it, it takes me back to the thoughts of a common humanity And that one is probably less focused on the rest of the world as just your own self. But I was very explicit and deliberate for myself in not allowing work to become 24 Mm seven and not letting people trespass on the um, confines of Mm -hmm. the business week. And another anecdote to share, there was one client that I was working with who only ever wanted to speak to me late at night or on the weekend. And finally, I wrote him a note and said, is there no time during the 40 hours of the business week that you're able to have this conversation? Um, And I, you know, so many times in the most polite way I could muster would say to people, listen, I'm sorry, I don't work at night and I don't work on Sundays and I don't work on Saturdays because I find that when I do, I get really stressed out and it's not good for me. Yeah. And, you know, it took a long time to get people to realize that. And there were certain people who never really figured it out. And I just let it go in that ultimately what happened with that client was I just let the contract go, you know, it was yeah. a big contract and I just left it on the table because I was not going to be, you know, jerked yeah. around by the nose to be working on Sunday and to be working at 10 o'clock at night and to be yeah. sitting, you know, sort of on call like this at the computer. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things about where I live is that the, the cell phone service and the internet coverage are not terrific. And if you're not sitting in a particular spot ready to take a call, you're not getting that call. <laughs> and you know, the minute I step out my front door, I have no cell phone service because my cell phone is covered on the wireless signal. Mm. And so 
if I were to be on call all the time, I would literally be sitting in this chair at this desk all the time. And I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I think that, um, you know, people who really thought about it and said, okay, these are my boundaries fared much better than people mm -hmm. who didn't think about it and, and thus had not such great boundaries yeah. because without those boundaries, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever someone else's lack of boundaries was going to cause to happen. Yeah. And I think during the crisis, the, the infringement on our boundaries can be more severe because people are stressed and they're in survival mode, perhaps panicking. I need this. I need it tonight. Right. I need, I need it this weekend. Um, and you, there is a, a sense of, well, man, if, if this is my only income or if, if this is my boss, how do I push back on that? You know, I don't want to lose my job or in the middle of crisis, you know, it yeah. almost seems like it could be entrap entrapping for other people. Oh, absolutely. And there are people who, you know, they, they just found themselves working more or working at different hours. And you know what, if someone wants to do that, that's their business, good for them. Yeah. But to expect that other people are going to do that is totally, totally unacceptable. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you have to have a certain poise to say to someone politely, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, when the, when the year hit the crisis year in April, um, March, April, I think for the few months, I kind of that energy of, Oh, wow, this is big. This is, this is going to be, um, disruptive. How do I respond? You know, I, for a few months I did what I could. I, I and I was, I, I did more, I did more than I probably, I should have, right. I overworked myself, but I realized after a couple of months, you know what, this, I can take a step back. Um, I had the, the opportunity, I, I had enough work and, and things going on that I could take a step back and sort of step off that, um, that highway and, and sort of just rest in the year that would follow. And, and so the, the rest of it was a much better experience. Although there were some hiccups along the, <laughs> along the way, um, where I got sucked in again, but, but there, there is that treadmill or that, that, that highway that, that, um, it's so easy to get sucked into and then spit out on the other side. So. Well, and so easy to get taken away from things that are so much more important that in the moment mm -hmm. might seem less important. And I'm sure you know this, you have five children, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like that's the most important yeah. thing. You have five children. Um, that takes a lot of time. I would yeah. imagine. Yes, it does. Being married, having kids. Um, and although to some degree it was actually, you know, having so much time at home, we do get more time together. And, and that was interesting um, and fun and, um, and some fruitful relationally. Um, mm -hmm. It, you know, the community time suffered because we didn't have as much uh, time or a Zoom or whatever. But, um, but that, you know, that was part of the adapting. I think um, I'm a, what's interesting for me is I'm the generation where, you know, we played video games over the internet. We, we chatted with people on AOL, you know, like I'm kind of used to these virtual relationships, meeting people on Twitter. Um, you know, we've never physically met. We've, we've met. Right. Right. And so I think, I don't know if how you feel about that, but for me, it, it, it didn't seem that much of a, uh, of an, a, adaptation for me because I was used to having these sort of digital relationships. I don't know if that was what, how you experienced it. Well, some of it was an adaptation. I, yeah. um, I did not grow up playing video games and I don't <laughs> play video games and I did not grow up chatting on AOL and I don't chat on AOL. Um, I was using zoom quite a bit before yeah. the pandemic. And so that's only gotten more natural. I think it yeah. was pretty natural already because I've been using it for a number of years. 
for work. Um, but I do have relationships that are significant relationships to me now with people that I have never met in person. And that's, that's a bit of an adjustment. It's yeah. bizarre. Um, uh, let's see what else. Um, but you know, you've, you've got to kind of roll with it because the world yeah. changes and you can't continue to live in yeah. yesterday's world. You miss too many things. Yeah. So how, you know, you mentioned this idea of what matters versus trivial things that don't really matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are some of the filters that you use to, dis to distinguish the noise from what matters? Because sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it can be clear. Sometimes it gets sure. muddled. Well, I think that um, part of it is like identifying what matters and having a good firm set of boundaries go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, you know, another example, and, and again, it's like I'm drawing from the really recent examples. This morning, I had to speak with a client who delayed the delivery of their contract. Yeah. And it's, you know, as a consultant, if a client delays delivery, it messes up your entire ability to earn a living because then you've got to find time for the work. You've lost the income. You can't put anything into the yeah. backfill time. And essentially, the client was informing me this morning that they're going to skip out on the remaining portion of contract. Mm. And, you know, what can you do? What can you do? I, I'm not happy about that. And I said, listen, I'm not the kind of person who's going to take legal action, but nor am I going to tell you that it's okay because it's not okay. You know, yeah. this throws a serious monkey wrench into my planning. And I, I didn't feel like I owed this person saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine to make them feel good. Mm -hmm. So that was my boundary. But mm -hmm. of course, there's nothing I'm going to do about it because I can't. And I was talking to a colleague of mine, I called this colleague later on in the morning because you know that was frustrating, but also because I got some bad news about another client that's very ill. And I just wanted to get his take on, you know, how do you handle this? Because I'd never really dealt with a client being mm. so ill before. And you know, how do you show up for them? Um, rather than just saying, you know, here I am for you and what can I do? Like, what do you, what can you really do? And um, you know, I was telling him about this, this contract and he said, just get over it, let go of it. And I said to him, Michael, I will get over it, but it just happened an hour ago and I'm going to tell one person. <laughs> and he said, okay, telling him is helping you let go of it. <laughs> right. So I told him and it's, you know, I'm over it. But, um, you know, regarding the, the client who was so ill, he said, listen, there's nothing you can do. All you can do is send warm wishes and support and pray. And I am not someone who is particularly religious. I don't really pray that often, but, you know, I'm going to figure out how to do it because, oh man, I, I just want this other person to survive. I want her to be healthy yeah. and present for a long time. And it's just looking very dark at the moment. So, you know, how do you know what's important? I think showing up for people is important. That is the mm. most important thing. And when we think about the work we do, I'm sure an enormous percentage of it is showing up for people. Certainly the work I do. Um, and that includes showing up for yourself and showing up for yourself is the boundaries part, um, yeah. among other things, but you know, it, like, I don't really know what else to say about it right now, because I'm mindful that we have just a little bit more time. Um, but I do think the most important thing is to show up for people, whatever yeah. you do. If you're a doctor, yeah. you show up for people. If you're a professional consultant, you show up for people. If you're a teacher, you show up for people, whatever it is show yeah. up for people. That's the most important thing. Show up for your kids, show up for your parents, show up for your family, your clients, your friends, period. Yeah. Well, so one, one of the things you're, you've leaned into is this idea of, of mentoring um, aspiring women architects. And so you're pouring into them, you're helping them. And, and I think this is certainly an op a season of, of mentoring more than, than others for people that 
that are struggling through the various things. It's one of the reasons I, I got the podcast going last year when we did it is I sure. wanted to provide an outlet for people to share their insights for those that, that needed them. So tell me about this, this women entering the profession of architecture. I, I, I think I remember last time we spoke, you, you would put it put together an event. So did that event turn into this, this thing or what, what, what happened? So uh, I'm not sure which event you're thinking of at the moment, but I will say we had the good fortune that we had started this before the pandemic. And so we had a structure and we altered our structure and then we grew and you know, if we hadn't already been underway, it's hard to say what might have happened. But the um, the whole impetus for doing this was one of my clients had applied to be a fellow of the AIA based on her service to the profession. And she was denied and turned down. And they basically said, well, you haven't done enough, which I was incensed by and said, well, you know, I'm <laughs> going to come up with something that we will do together so that no one will ever be able to say to you again that you haven't done enough. Mm -hmm. And then the secondary concern, mostly hers, was that so many women were being trained as architects, but dropping out within the first 10 years of practice. Oh, wow. And we finally reached the point where firms are willing and even eager to promote women into leadership positions. And the feedback we were hearing was that they can't find the women. And, you know, that wasn't our only motivator, certainly, but it's part of it. And we wanted people to stick around. And so we devised a format. You know, I wrote up an outline. We reached out to some very prominent women well into their careers, and we asked them to please show up, and at first it was in person, to speak for 20 minutes about whatever they want to speak about, something yeah. of consequence to their career, whether it was work-life balance or becoming a partner or professional licensure or you know anything they wanted to talk about, two by two, so two women speakers in each session, and then to make themselves available as mentors ongoing for as long or as often as anybody wanted to reach out to them. And in practice, it hasn't been that much outreach. We're finally kind of hitting our stride, but we wanted to address the fact that there were so many young women who were not sticking around, who didn't feel supportive. And, you know, I, in my note to you, I, I referenced the old girls network and, you know, people know what, what it means when you hear about the old boys network. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like we want to discriminate against men or eliminate them from any of the things we're doing, but we want women to feel supported enough so that they will stick around. And yeah. if that requires the creation of the old girls network, you know, you have a, a professional crisis or you've lost a job or you have a question you don't know how to answer, you can pick up the phone and call someone and know not only is that person going to be there and is going to be able to support you, but, you know, it's sort of a given and you're not going to be belittled for asking a question in the first place, which unfortunately has been the experience that so many women have had. Mm coming into the profession. You know, we've all had all sorts of negative experiences in the, the road to becoming senior professionals. And, you know, there's a spectrum from the merely irritating to the full-on awful. Yeah. Uh, and what we're trying to do is to create opportunities for a different spectrum where people yeah. feel supported and where they can grow as professionals with that support into long productive careers. I would say just in finishing that my objective is that in the future and hopefully soon, when you look at architecture, when we show work, the actual work, women's work will be present to be seen in equal measure to men's mm -hmm. work. And it won't be that interesting to talk about whether it was done by a woman or a man, because it will just be. 
And that's our objective, you know, for women to stick around and for their work to be seen. And um, actually we have a session tonight. It's our last, no, it's our first session of the summer. So we have these informal summer sessions. And tonight we're speaking with two women architects in California um, and later in the summer, four women architects in Montana to show our mostly New York based group something entirely different that they otherwise yeah. wouldn't really see. Yeah. Which by going yeah. virtual allows you to reach people you wouldn't have outside of the area, right? Which That's is right. interesting. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, sometimes in the future, we will be some of us in person with a video link that allows other people to participate when they're not able to get there, which is great. Yeah. And which is cool. Yeah. Any other final thoughts? Um, lessons learned, uh, anything you want to convey to, um, wrap this up? Um, gee, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, like in the context of this interview, I can be super optimistic and put, you know, the positive spin on everything and talk about the challenges as if, you know, you make light of them and they're you're like <laughs> the easiest thing. It's like, oh yeah. So over that in reality, of course, it's never like that. Yeah. Um, and like anybody else, uh, there's I've had my own share of things to struggle with. It's just mm. a matter of the extent to which they dominate my attention. Yeah. And I think that whether that's personal or professional, you know, it's like you hear, I've reached the age where I don't always know the exact reference. Like I know what I'm thinking of, but I don't remember who to pin it on. Yeah. Maybe like a Zen, a Zen approach to things where you've learned with age and time how things work out most of the time, which allows you the perspective to choose hmm. which things to uh, really focus, grab yeah. your attention in a negative way and minimize that number. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I do, I do think that when it's novel to us, um, doesn't mean it's a novel thing to humanity, right? And so sometimes we, when it's new to us, we don't know that difference and we can get sucked in. Uh, at least that's been my experience, so. <laughs> Well, yeah. And, you know, it always like whenever I'm in a conversation like this, it always takes me back to my uncle Howie, who was my mother's best friend's husband. He wasn't technically my uncle, but he was this incredibly dear, hilariously funny guy who passed away a long time ago. And I have just a lifetime of memories from when I was a very small child till my 30s, I guess, when he died. But at a certain point, he, he was kind of wry and very, very funny. He would look at me and my brother and he'd just say to us, oh, you're maturing wonderfully. (laughs) And of course, he was being totally sarcastic when he said it or just, you know, witty and sort of sly when he said it, which was not to say that he thought we were really immature, but, you know, just sort of like, oh, you're maturing wonderfully. Like, yeah, you're figuring it out, dude. And, um, you know, whenever I find myself trying to answer one of these questions, especially like I just did, I think if my uncle Howie were here, he would say, oh yes, you're maturing wonderfully. (laughs) And we'd all have a good laugh. Yeah. Um, But you know, it it is kind of true what they say about age and wisdom. And boy, it's so much easier to act on that wisdom at this point in life than it was at the beginning of the pandemic or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah. What about you? You know, same question before we finish up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, uh, I think for me, it's um, the idea of letting go is, is a big one. It's um, w- the idea of wanting to have control and then letting that control go. Um, you know, learning to ride the wave versus trying to control the wave if, if I'm surfing a, a metaphor and, and working through those steps to kind of process, process in a, a more um, releasing type of a mindset and a releasing type of approach to, to the circumstances. 
and and also being able to rest in in those moments of relief versus you know the relief comes and then i got to prepare for the next crisis kind of thing so those are you know a few few last thoughts uh if people want to connect with you what what's the best way to do that uh best way to do it is through my website which will give my email address okay. the website is clapel consulting Oh, there's my three o'clock ringing in. I'm going to have right. to run. All right. Um, sounds good. All right. I'm going to sign off really abruptly. All right. Sounds good. Jason. Thank you so much. Talk to you again soon. All right. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.